Hi, welcome to Literaturely, a podcast about teaching literature. I'm Margaret Mock. And I'm Paige Wallace. And today we are talking about literary memory, which is a mouthful for me, <laughs> but memoirs, um, fictionalization of memories, uh, creative nonfiction. Basically, we are investigating truth. Are you ready for that, Margaret? Oh, I like the way you phrase that, investigating truth. Yeah. That, that makes it feel very relevant for today. Yeah. I guess I did not think of the weight. Yeah. Praise. I didn't think either about the way we now are like, everyone is expected to brand themselves online professionally relies on this sense of memoir and how you market yourself. Yes. Oh my God. Like, is this, is there some like weird connection to like our earlier conversations this week about gendered performance? And like um, <coughs> jobs. Um, so I feel like, do you feel like that connects, Margaret? Should we tell our listeners? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so earlier this week, Margaret and I were chatting about uh, like the different professional avenues that, that people can take without a college degree and how there's sort of this resurgence in the way we think and talk about uh, jobs that are tied to labor, right? Like manual labor, we're thinking. Um, so f- construction workers, plumbers, electricians, yeah. right? And these are spe- like specialized sort of careers that don't require necessarily a, a four-year degree, right? Um, and so we were talking about that. And in that conversation, we were thinking about how um, with careers that are traditionally held by women that also are about like the labor within the home. Caretaking uh, jobs. Yeah, like... caretaking jobs that don't require college degrees of any kind are really, we don't see that same sort of praise of those kinds of jobs, right? So like housekeeping or nannying are often still talked about in really derogatory ways sort of social media influencer self-help author who had a a poor taste video about her housekeeper recently and that's what spurred this conversation but I I'm kind of rabbit holing here but I guess like some of this is making me think about this idea of performing truth performing gender performing success and like getting out of somewhere right and like the way that and I think it could be connected to the way that we write about certain topics and how certain performances get sort of bolstered because of gender like dynamics right does that make sense Margaret does that make any sense at all no I think so I think there's loose connections there where there's like these bigger concerns happening right now in the 21st century where everything is documented about how you are going to perform your life and those performances are always gendered racialized uh, geography based etc um and some of that is going to uh, lead to like how do we depict certain occupations how do we depict 
um, upbringing, what, how do we depict what we consider success? And also that all leads to this idea of how do we decide what stories are worth being told in terms of real life. Um, I feel like people are okay with reading a work of fiction about the life of a cleaning woman but they would not be as open to a memoir of a cleaning woman. And what is that there? Like, why? Um, and I'm not saying that that's for everyone, like that everyone feels that way, but generally speaking, I think considering memoir really gives us an opportunity to think about these performances that are happening, whether or not you study literature or are a writer or connected at all to reading. Um, what you were saying about uh, social media and those anxieties of like the performance of your life. Uh, um, and the conversation is that all of your social media is creative nonfiction. Yes. Yeah, I talk about that with my comp students sometimes. Like everyone loves to harp on social media and how it's not real and people are only showing the best parts of their lives. So it's going to, you know, you can't trust it. You have to be suspicious and all that. But I'm like, but nobody wants to read or see a stream of sad posts either. (laughs) That if you are just posting yourself, you know, cooking dinner but it's like making another peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> like people are like another COVID. Are help yeah another covid meal <laughs> yeah um and i think there's something there that but the performance is part of it. it's the same way people used to talk about reality tv oh it's not real it's not real it's not real it's not supposed to be real it's a performance um it's performing our current understanding of these roles and ideal deals and values so it's always going to be artificial, but I don't think that makes it inherently bad or wrong. It's just... Or not truthful, right? Yes. So so this idea that artificiality, or maybe not even just artificiality, but like curation, mm-hmm. right, um, doesn't mean that there's no truth, that we've abandoned truth, but we're telling a story in a very specific way. And that, that's what we've always done, right? And social media mm-hmm. has, has sort of made it more, I don't know, what's the word? Like like that it's democratist. I, I thought about using that word and then I was like, no, that's not what I mean. Um, but pervasive. Prevalent, pre- prevalent pervasive, yeah. right? Um, and so obviously then it's like more available to critique. Yeah. And I think this gets to the heart of the question you and I started with um, before recording of what is the difference between autobiography, memoir, autofiction, fiction. Um, and because they're all dealing with truth in some ways, but the, the presentation of that truth is going to shift and the way we evaluate that truth has to shift that, um, and, and, and our relationship with truth shifts. And so talking about memoir, you have to talk about truth to a certain extent. Um, is it, uh, what was that uh, book that, that a million little pieces, wasn't it originally marketed as autobiography and then after it came out all like the untruthfulness, it's now 
marketed as a memoir or is it the opposite that it was a memoir and now it's auto fiction i don't know i don't you know, know what i'm talking about though no oh it, okay uh, let me pull it up then so it a million little pieces it was by james Frey. i'm pulling it up now it was the big scandal because oprah had it as part of her book club and after she had it as part of her book club it came out that he had included a lot in his book that had not happened like other people in his life came forward they're like that's not what happened it happened that happened to me and he stole my story or like i was there and he's really exaggerating it like all sorts of things like that and oprah brought him back on the show and yelled at him on national oh television can you imagine <laughs> being yelled at by oprah i know it's it was oh okay so i, I have it pulled up <laughs> that it said after a six-week investigation the smoking gun published an article called a million little lies the article described fabrications in Frey's account of his drug abuse experiences life and criminal record um quote the probe was prompted after the oprah show aired um they were just trying to find a mugshot of him and they couldn't find one and so then it went and he and his response was i've never denied i've altered small details that would be a great way to open a memoir class. Yeah. I've oh. never denied I've altered small details. Definitely. And so like, we were thinking about those, like, I think this is a really good example of how hard it is to define these categories of like autobiography, um, memoir, fiction, right? Because there's almost like this sort of sliding scale or spectrum mm -hmm. of like, how close is it to the truth? But even who is like defining the truth at this moment. And yeah. so that makes it difficult. So it sounds like this person sort of maybe purposely misrepresented themselves to a very extreme point in their, in their novel, but they're also sort of examples of memoirs that are are definitely playing with truth um and to the point that we know that as a reader that there is that play so mm -hmm. uh, you know I'm thinking about uh, the woman warrior where there mm -hmm. is like w this sort of presiding sense as you're reading it as to w what is true here and not true but like what is what are we supposed to take away as like autobiographical facts because I think everything in the novel is true but not all of it is factual in the sense of like investigative journalists might <laughs> go through and say like well that didn't actually happen to her that way and um, so for people who haven't read it the woman warrior it came out in 1976 right yes yeah. Um, and it's a memoir by Maxine Hahn Kingston and it fuses like stories of her life in the growing up in California in an immigrant family, but also like it's interposed with folklore, but reimagined folklore um, and, and fairy tales and all of that, but that are, are rewritten to kind of match the themes she's exploring. Right. Was, um, and I know that she has, in interviews, talked about how she falsified 
parts of her life in that because members of her family were undocumented immigrants and she didn't want to expose them. And, and, they, and you know, some members of her family were committing other not so legal <laughs> actions. And again, she didn't want to expose anyone, which I think also gets to this larger discussion we have about writers pulling from their own lives where I often see people post on Twitter that like quote like, Paige, I know you know what I'm talking about, but I can't remember the exact quote where it's like, if you aren't, if you don't do anything awful, you don't have to worry about what I write about you or something like that. That's the gist of yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Um, but there is something that when you write a memoir, you are exposing not just yourself, you're making the people around you vulnerable as well. And the creative elements of a memoir can act as like a shield, right? Yeah. To shield those people around you that, that maybe you're telling your story, you're giving your performance, but you don't want to, um, tell a story that doesn't belong to you or, um, that could potentially hurt someone else. And so you have that ability to shield them through creative, um, nonfiction or, right. Yeah. Embedding those folklore stories. So like Woman Warrior reimagines what a memoir is and how we can tell the truth, but it's all out of the necessity. Without representing ourselves. Yeah. Telling the truth without misrepresentation, I think. And did I cut you off before? I just wanted to explain what Woman Warrior was because I wasn't sure. I don't know how common of a book it is. I feel like we lived in a grad school, but. Yeah, no, I mean, you didn't cut me off. I think it's a fairly common read, but I'm just saying that purely from my own experience because I read that in high school and in undergrad and then in grad school so by the time I got to it in grad school I'd like read it multiple times oh I did not come across it until our grad school class so see we're two completely different opposite versions so my truth is different than your truth for me it's a very common text so this kind of I don't know if it's a natural segue, but in my head it is. I want to ask you, like, what would be some objectives for teaching memoir? Because we, we were talking about this when we were researching for this episode. All of the resources, um, peer-reviewed articles, blog posts, everything is about how to teach students to write their own memoirs, but not how to read memoirs or critically evaluate memoirs. So... I don't know, I guess if we could start there, just what are the goals when teaching a literary memoir, memoir literature course, maybe that's the phrase I want. I, I'm not sure if in prepping for this episode, I just kept coming back to genre and I was like, that's yeah. just because you're teaching genre at the end of your comp classes this semester. So you're just like, your head is full of genre stuff. <laughs> but I think that it's interesting or a sort of interesting objective or goal would be to really focus on that that sort of sliding spectrum between um, autobiographical, memoir, creative nonfiction, um, because there are a lot of creative nonfiction essays that are short that mm-hmm. students could read as like paired with longer text. Um, and to have them investigate this question of truth through genre so like 
am I getting a text that is merely meant to be informational, right? And we can make the argument that something that's autobiographical, um, I'm thinking also really specific, like not literary texts that are autobiographical, but some like historical accounts of like famous yeah. important people, right? Um, and, and we're reading them for what's on the page largely. Now, I always want to make the argument that we're never reading for just what's on the page, but mm -hmm. generally like that's those, those texts are informational, right? Here are the facts here. And, and I'm putting them together in this way for you where memoir is what do we do when we're not just reading for what's on the page, right? We're reading um, to investigate, to break it down, to see other than just what, information we're getting and because I think that's a, a hard thing for students to to understand reading like critical reading it's not just a memorization of the information and so that would be a, a sort of central objective for me I agree with that because I was thinking about well one a lot of the resources that were coming up were like multimodal writing with memoir again for teaching students how to write memoir and that got me thinking about how a lot of the most interesting memoirs that I've come across are the ones that really play with that idea of genre. Like we were just talking about with Woman Warrior. Um, but also, like I know we've talked about Persepolis. Um, we, our book club read Crazy Brave, which included like music. And in the audiobook, um, she she actually sings herself and, and stuff like that. Um, and oranges are not the only fruit does some similar things to woman warrior with like fairy tales and all of that. Um, but I was even thinking like, is Galatea 2.2 a memoir where like the inclusion of like this fictional literary analysis computer allows him to explore like the questions that were boggling him at that time. Like kind of like what happens if you write a memoir that involves your imaginary friend? <laughs> like, And so like studying memoir uh, literature allows you a specific lens by which you can investigate craft, but craft relationship with truth, which circles back to what we were talking about before. Like when we study fiction, we normally just talk about like craft and themes and, you know, cultural context. And with autobiography, I, I mean, I can't think of, I'm sure classes exist on autobiography, but I never took any. I took a class on writing memoir myself, but Memoir is kind of this sweet spot of where truth and craft share the spotlight. And I think that can lead to some really interesting discussions with your students for thinking about the way we craft truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this idea of craft, um, because we're not the creative writers ourselves. And so um, for me doing the research in this, I was like, wow, there are a lot of classes that are meant to be teaching um, memoir writing paired with like the literary aspects of it. And I don't know if that would be a great fit for me. Mm -hmm. um, but as you were talking and you mentioned multimedia projects, I was thinking about just the ability for students to, again, think about um, their own sort of autobiographical performances. Um, and so what if 
you, I think you could have some really cool assignments with this class in terms of like, what if you imagine your social media profile as a memoir um, or the start of your memoir? Or um, what if you rewrote a section of something like Crazy Brave or um, even like Walden, right? The Rose Walden as uh, a series of Instagram posts. And you're thinking about like, that performance for an immediate audience and what you're sharing and what you're choosing to sort of shield the world, like shield from the world and shield the world from. Um, So I I think that the potential to make some really cool connections, like we discussed a little bit earlier, between these different forms of writing and these different kinds of composition and truth and performance would really make for interesting assignments. Yeah, I'm now thinking like having your students write about an important life event to them, but then give them different audiences or goals to rewrite that same story. So uh, like tell that story now where you don't wanna reveal anything about the person with you. Tell that story again now to an audience that is not part of your same background. Tell this now this uh, to an audience who can't read. Like, how do you, because I'm th- even thinking with Woman Warrior, one of the biggest criticisms was how whitewashed it was. Um, and that people accuse it of like kind of misrepresenting uh, Chinese culture. But there's also something there about the relationship with truth, audience, author's purpose, all those fun composition <laughs> questions we grapple with yeah. that work well for a literature class as well. Yeah, and I think that part of that, having them write for different audiences, different, like telling this personal story with these different constraints has them, like there's a opportunity for discussion about like, what does that do to truth? Does that make that story not truthful anymore? And like, where are the lines, right? Like when does it become misrepresentative versus withholding or making these sort of creative decisions about what to include and what not to include yeah or how how just how to build that world differently Mm -hmm. and like what are the vehicles that allow you to be the most truthful within different constraints um so something like persepolis where it allows you to really understand her different ages without it being like too precocious um because it's an adult looking back at their lives of course they're going to see things differently and have different information and I honestly find it very rare that a child is written well in fiction um or memoir or autobiography and I think the use of um image helps her negotiate that um and allows her to immerse her audience in a world that's unfamiliar to them. Um, Or thinking about, um, I don't know, um, going back, I guess, to Quicksand maybe, or or Nightwood where you rewrite the ending because now you're connecting your your story to a larger community story and thinking about what you want to represent and maybe the story of your life isn't just about representing yourself as an individual but representing yourself as part of a community 
Yeah, um, I think that's a really interesting question to pose. And I would be very interested to hear students kind of hash that out to um, like the individual versus like the representative for of a community and the sort of dangers of that and um, also the necessities. Yeah, it's to write a memoir is to claim a platform, right? Like it's to say that your life is worth knowing about and knowing and, and representing. Um, and I, is that why we love reading memoirs by women? Yeah, Paige and I were discussing before this that I am much more familiar with female written memoirs. Yeah. <laughs> that it was like, mm, all the ones that I can think of that I've read lately are female authored. And I think there is something there. Like the one I read most recently I was telling you about was it's called Burn the Place by Alana Reagan. Um, and it was just really interesting to read about this really like self-aware reflection on her struggles with sexuality, addiction, and career. Like it's really her coming into her own professionally, but dealing with her sexuality and addiction along the way. And it was just, I don't know. I just really liked reading the story, the true life story, true quotation marks of a woman who's like, this is my passion. And I love doing it. Let me share my passion with you because that's all I ever want to do, whether people <laughs> want it or not. <laughs> Let me share this with you. Um, and it was, yeah. Um, I was thinking though, the, the male authored memoirs that I'm most familiar with, I was realizing are mostly modernist. Um, and that leads to another surprise question. What? <laughs> surprising. How surprising. <laughs> Where it kind of, to me, the whole modernist memoir is really fascinating, though, because they, as a mo literary movement, were so intentionally crafting personas and what a literary persona is hmm. and, and these memoirs are extensions of that performance and like who gets to be seen as an artist what is art they're really playing with all of that so it really allows you to delve into those those um twinned issues of craft and truth because at a certain point like they're the ones who are really initiating this idea of truth as subjective so they're just going hard playing with like, well, this is just my truth. So <laughs> like we've, we're still in, in the mode of thinking of truth is somewhat subjective. There's your truth, my truth and truth in between. But the modernists were really living that like, who's to say? <laughs> I, I guess this made me think about like, how many memoirs are that I've read that are, you know, writers mm -hmm. crafting that image of the writer um, and the writer as a woman. Yeah, because that's the thing with memoirs written by writers is part of that goal is arguing who deserves to be considered a writer and playing with that idea of this is a writer, uh, this is a writer, and also this is a writer. Um, so that was actually a part of my, um, dissertation was that 
my argument for why I wanted to include so much biographical information in my argument was that this playing with the tension of who gets to be considered a writer, an artist, a mother, and that their, their biographical materials was really key to that. So like James Joyce, a portrait of the artist of a young man, no one really blinks at it. We know it's his life. People will go in and say, oh, this character is really so-and-so, this character is so-and-so, oh, this is when his dad was dealing with this sort of financial issues, blah, blah, blah. And no one uses it to question his creativity. But female writers, so much of it is, even when they're writing fiction, it's like, oh, well, that's inspired by their lives. Oh, they're just just writing what happened to them as if they don't have more stories to tell. But on the flip side of that, you have writers like uh, Kay Boyle, who has since been forgotten, but at the time, big news in the modernist community. And Plagued by the Nightingale, she was very open about like, yeah, that was totally based off of my experiences, um, being isolated with my French husband's family in their small French town, wanting to get out. Um, but I did add this uh, character who's a kind of a compilation of people I knew at this time. And it's, it's interesting to me because her, James Joyce to me, when people read that memoir, cause I'm gonna call it a memoir. Mm-hmm. It's this like reflection on genius. And isn't he a genius? And I'm not doubting James Joyce is a genius, but just, you know, the literary genius. Kay Boyle is not as interested in the idea of genius. She's interested in the idea of career. I want to work. I'm going to work so I can get out and do this myself um, and support myself and be free to move around, not stuck here. And I need money to be able to leave. So this is all of my story about how I'm going to get money (laughs) and get out. Um, Whereas... Portrait of the Artist is this idea of like this quest for truth, this pure quest for truth. I don't know. I think there's like, I'm interested in both. And I think it'd be really interesting to maybe look at um, modernist memoirs in class to have our students think about like what, what truth are they concerned with? And how does this kind of reflect 20th century values, how we consider truth today, um, who we consider to be a writer, a genius, a hustler. Yeah, yeah. So I I would not teach the modernist memoir, but I definitely think I'm interested in some of the points you're making about Kay Boyles and career versus genius. And so like the modes of movement, not to get like too into your dissertation, but the modes <laughs> of mobility and how like they're gendered and how they play out in this particular genre. And so do women, are women not afforded the luxury of considering themselves in the pursuit of genius, right? But instead in the pursuit of career, in the pursuit of escape, because I think that escape is a lot, like is a big theme in some of the memoirs that I've read. And I'm trying to think of the memoir that we read that wasn't Crazy Brave, Margaret, for book club. Yeah, let me... The one we read right before that, and I can't remember the name of it. I have it here. So if you give me like 30 seconds, so you can explain it while I pull it up. Like, yeah. So in this memoir, the author 
it feels like the entire time she's really trying to escape various constraints on her life. Yeah, tell us her name. And it's Heartberries uh, by uh, Therese Marie M- Mailhawk. Okay. Yes, and I I really like this memoir, but I also was very angry. In, in I a think lot the whole of book club was angry that we got to the end and then when y'all yeah. were really yeah yeah because it it felt like this this sort of mediation on escape uh, escaping being that sort of model minority in a graduate school situation escaping um, a toxic relationship a, a super toxic relationship and escaping these sort of stereotypes um, that are placed on women with like that are struggling with mental health um, and despite all of these things working to still be successful right to still be seen and established as a writer as a creative as having a voice and I loved that memoir too because it showed like these failures um, of that because again like this is very much our, our author's truth um, but as a reader I hated her relationship uh, and and thought it was incredibly toxic and it feels like she never escapes it and never like comes to sort of any sort of realization that it's terrible um, and it's almost positioned as the truth of it is that it's true love and they're going to and like to stay together is to succeed yeah. where and so I think there's also something there with like memoirs of how do we think not just of the individual performance but the individual uh, the performance of relationships in terms of like what do we see as a healthy relationship a successful relationship a valuable relationship and like if you looked at the evolution of memoirs and how the different relationships are presented, like if you look, like compare Heartberries to a movable, a movable feast, yeah. <laughs> like Hadley is the paragon of femininity and passive and gentle and so, so wonderful. Um, that in some ways relationships haven't changed too much. <laughs> well, and we're still, we're still very obsessed with them in sort of our cultural eye, right? Um, and from the perspective of like performance and truth, right? Because I don't want to call a TikTok video a memoir, but like you've got these like really famous TikTok couples um, that have all been breaking up recently. And so there's been this sense of like, here's their truth or their performance of truth on social media. Now they're not, they're broken up. So maybe we weren't getting the whole story we feel blindsided um and I say we as like a collective audience but the idea again is that you're never getting the full story um and so I did like Heartberries because it felt it felt like our author was never shielding us from the full story um as as she knew it and saw it yeah as she knew it and saw it and so that still made it like disappointing that we saw that this full story was not romantic it was not some sort of like weird true love thing, but actually like an imbalance of power. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair that there's like, it was this terribly imbalanced power dynamic. There was a lot of exploitation and manipulation. And I think it's something that came through the pages of also 
gaslighting the like we talk about in fiction the unreliable narrator and obviously we know that in memoirs autobiography the writer is unreliable in that they are the protagonist of their own story but what happens when your memoir writer is someone who is being gaslit um, and someone who is internalizing these toxic ideas about their own identity um, about being undeserving or um incompetent or whatever and that's what you're getting on the page is that performance because that is what their truth has become and go ahead oh no I was just thinking and I think that would be something important to cover in a class is that it's not just going to be authors always showing themselves in the best light but they're also going to be reflecting the ways other people see them and how they're being told who they are. Because when you write a character, a a fictional character, you know who that character is as you're imagining them. But when you're writing about yourself, you understand yourself and your own internal identity, but you also understand yourself through the ways other people tell you who you are, that external identity, which becomes that internalized identity. I talk about that with my students um, in my Women in Lit class that you have this negotiation always of your internal identity, your external identity, and then your internalized identity. And I didn't think about that with memoir till just now, but I think that would be a really, really interesting way to examine these performances and how over time, like we become what we're told we are. And then some of us are able to fight that and some of us aren't able to recognize and and uh, most of us are in the middle where you can identify some parts and be like no you keep telling me this but we internalize other parts yeah yeah and again so that sort of play between that external internal versus internalized I think connects back to that idea of the genius and how when we have a woman who's writing her memoir who might also be a writer I mean, obviously she's a writer. She's writing her memoir. <laughs> um, but but this idea that she can never approach the notion of genius in her writing because her writings spend, has to spend time if it's going to interrogate truth, sort of pushing against these gender depressions. And then whatever other intersectional um, sort of oppressive structures are at play there are just sort of, adding to that milieu of like, what do we have to address before we could even get to this conversation about pursuing genius? Yeah. And then on top of that, once you write your story, the avenues available to you for sharing that story and publishing it, how are they going to further censor or empower your identity? Because I'm also thinking, um, we've read those two memoirs back to back. Um, yes, but, um, so Heart Fairies, I'm thinking about how throughout it, we see the way her grad school professors kind of um, constantly undermine her her sense of self where they're always like surprised that she's getting into programs or able to do things. But I'm also um, thinking in Crazy Brave, um, that's by Joy Harjo, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, that... Oh, my brain just escaped. Oh, um, I guess, no, this goes with um, both both of them about how on you have to censor out Sherman Alexi 
because he's no longer kosher after you know allegations of abuse and so you don't want him associated with your identity maybe as a writer or the publishers don't want him associated with your identity but then you also have things like Richard Wright who his autobiographies are being um not censored by his publishers but oh well we don't want to hear about racism in the north because that's not part of the narrative people are interested in so we're going to cut your autobiography off a little bit sooner that writers writing is not a solitary activity it's always communal and and so you're not the writer doesn't have the final say over their identity the publishers are a really uncomfortable way to think about it too though um i think maybe we should clarify so sherman alexi is censored out of the forward of Heartberries. He writes the original forward, right? Is he censored out of Crazy Brave at all? I I can't remember. I thought there was references to him, like the program he went to, the um, IAIA, but I, I was can't... thinking that both of those were in Heartberries. Okay. But I so, couldn't yeah. be wrong. So that would be something that no one should take our word on it. Right <laughs> yeah, now. thank you for that clarification. That. Yeah. We read those back to back. So in our own memoir of this podcast, memory is fluid. Um, Do we know? Okay, that just made me think. And again, I'm going to rabbit hole a little. What are the, what collaborative memoirs do we know about? Oh, I actually do know one, which is with Kay Boyle that people get really annoyed about. Um, Then I definitely want to hear about it. It was not... um, it was not really collaborative. Okay. So it's called Being Geniuses Together, which goes back to what we're saying about genius. It was originally um, by Robert McAlman, I think. Um, and again, take this with a, a grain of salt. I'm going to get facts wrong. But it's this his mem- memoir episode. You're not getting the facts wrong. You yeah. are performing them as your truth. Yes. So being, we believe in real facts too. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No alternative facts here. Um, being geniuses together was originally published shortly. Um, well, I guess it depends on how you define modernism, but it's published like during the modernist movement, but sort of okay. at the tail end of high modernism um, as we're moving out of it. And then decades later, it's re-released, but Kay Boyle has added chapters to it. Okay, so uh, was this a like, uh, not a true collaboration, but a interjection? Yeah, it's not a true collaboration, but I love it. This is why I love Kate Boyle. Like again, she's overlooked now, but you could not tell her she she wasn't deserving of being a writer. She's like, no, no, I'm here. I'm going to do this. She was like one of the few female modernist writers who was signing um, um, different like modernist manifestos. She's writing everyone. She's moving around, all of that. Um, So I am not sure how involved Robert McGowan was in the re-release. It is described as a collaborative memoir, but I don't know um, how we're using that definition collaborative. <laughs> um, so I, I need to go back into it. I used 
that book to, you know, just to get a, a lay of the land, but I, I need to, I'm not an expert on it. I'm mm -hmm. not overly familiar, but the collaboration was posthumous. I just don't know, like if there were discussions about it before he died because uh -huh. they were friends. So I'm like, there could, there could have been like collaboration, but it was published after he died, which is why I'm like, collaborative is an interesting word to use. <laughs> like, um, but I don't know the publication history beyond that. So it could have been, they could have been talking about it for decades. And then he died and she was like, well, better late than never. <laughs> yeah. Which, and now I, I really want to read that now though. It sounds interesting. I think I have a copy. I can't remember if I had to get a copy or if the library ended up having one. I feel like Margaret is secretly trying to turn us all into modernist. That's my ultimate goal always. Yeah, because that's that's what I'm feeling like. It's it's but to be honest, it's like my dissertation that whole like two years <laughs> is a blur of books because you're just consuming and absorbing. Yeah, absolutely. anything that I wasn't spending like more than six months with, like a specific book wise, um, it, it does blur where I'm like, which one did I read that in? Um, but I I was also thinking with modernist collaborations that aren't so consensually collaborative. <laughs> Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda, where he was taking sure. her diaries and using them for dialogue for his characters. Wow, yeah. And I was thinking about that would be a really interesting class. Again, if you use my approach of <laughs> teaching the modernist memoir, you could have a whole day where you use the idea of um, spouses can't testify on each other, but use the Fitzgeralds like what's going on like they're telling on each other but also like she doesn't tell on him at the same time and like so whose story is the true story um and really negotiate like those those overlaps in their works and I think that would be so fun to do in class and like assign different groups aside to take like whose truth are you going to defend? I feel like now we've delved into like the territory of like Netflix true crime documentary. Mm -hmm. um, also just getting to the core of my competitiveness <laughs> of just like, let's fight folks. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I wasn't really thinking about that till just now that a lot of memoirs I think are maybe non-consensually collaborative. And what does that mean in terms of taking someone else's memory? That's honestly one reason. Um, Paige and I, in the beginning of recording this, I mentioned that in my undergrad, I took a course called Performing and Telling Your Life. And it was exactly what it said. It was all about how to like write your memoirs, um, but there was a, a performance component to it. And this is actually one of the courses that sort of um, most influenced me in undergrad. And it was because our class became such a community because we were, we were being really vulnerable with one another. There was only like 12 people in the class. Um, one of my best friends to this day, he was in that class and that's how we met. And I can say this because he will not listen to this episode. <laughs> But um, so it's fun 
for you to tell him, like to include him if he's never going to know it. Although yeah, and 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 you know in the case boundaries were set. Leverage over him is okay. really the point of this one. Um, okay, so I can, but it was. It made me realize that long term, I don't ever want to publicly write about my life because it would involve me betraying everyone I know and love. And that really, like, I, and every time I read a memoir, I can't help but think that, like, how do, do, would your family members, your friends, your loved ones, how would they see themselves depicted on your page? I'm not saying that what the person's doing is a bad thing. I, I love reading memoirs, but it's just that sort of line I can't cross myself because you have to use and depict the experiences of other people to tell your life. You don't exist alone. And I can't help but feel like I'm exploiting those experiences of others. Can you imagine being um, a character from, like seeing yourself in a character from Galatea 2.2? Mm. Like, yeah, it's, like it's tough when it's like a like, okay, this, these are intimate, vulnerable details of our family. Um, but imagine like your coworker writing a memoir esque text, and then you just have to go to work with them again. You know, like <laughs> that's why Galatea two point two was written about his one year position. <laughs> yeah. Hi, John. No big deal. Yeah. Sorry. Goodbye forever. Um, <laughs> But I think on the flip side of that, I would feel much more comfortable grappling with the questions I had growing up, those big, large pressing questions by talking it out with a fictional computer than talking, like showing me fighting with my parents or. Oh, I could write an, I could write a memoir about academia. Yeah. I would read it. In like 15 years. (laughs) But it is there's a lot of questions and you know, you still have to grab, I don't know. Um, I, I think you could also do a really fun class with, since we've been talking about how memoirs, so many of them are written by writers, figure out a web of memoirs of like writers writing about each other and who, who and these other writers have their own memoirs and reading it, you know, five to eight of them throughout the semester and at the end reflecting on like well what's the overview of this like what is what are the overlaps what is the the truth we get from these as a as a whole and like how does this person represent themselves versus how this other writer represents them and um because I'm even thinking um it's not in memoirs but thinking about like the ego that goes with that because um Allegedly, when when Yeats died, Joyce said that the second best poet in Ireland had died, meaning yeah. that he was the best. And like Yeats had had, um, I think it was actually in in his autobiography. I'd have to double check that Yeats talks about Joyce showing up drunk at his door. But you have those weird things where we forget that like writers know each other. They are people who do weird, embarrassing things <laughs> that are very uncomfortable. But I think, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot you can do with memoirs literature and not just 
writing, teaching students how to write memoirs, but absolutely a lot with teaching students how to read memoir. Do you want to tell us what your dream course is? As soon as you asked, it flew out the window because I have been thinking about so many dream courses and now I am remembering one of them. Okay. So dream course is college literature. And by that, I mean novels that talk about college because I just finally watched that documentary of the college admission scandal. I'm thinking a lot about what the purpose of college is, what the purpose of education is. And I think there's a lot that you could really have fun with, um, but have your students really interrogate the ideas of what the purpose of a college education is. So you could even like do um, something like Faulkner's Sound of the Fury um, and, and Quentin section, but you could also do um, Mona, uh, I think it's AWOD's um, Money, which is all about grad school or Americana um, or even like possession. Like there's just so much about college and, and interrogating like, why do we get an education um, as a process, as a product, as a status symbol, et cetera. And I think it would be kind of like this meta fun moment. It probably wouldn't be fun for students by the end. I think I'd give them an existential crisis, but that's kind of always my goal. And just to have them really think like, why are you here? Why are you paying all this money to be here? Wouldn't this be a great like freshman special topics, like just replace uh, like like college 101 with Margaret's existential crisis? Why are you here? It ends with like 50% of the class dropping out. Like, and they're like, what are you doing? This class is canceled forever. And then you can write a memoir about working at that institution because that'll be your only year. <laughs> yeah. Never get hired again because there's a, a Chronicle article written about my class. <laughs> How Margaret Ma contributed to the cla- collapse of academia by Paige Wallace. <laughs> yeah. What's your class for this week? Um. So... My, I was thinking about, as always, like climate fiction and climate literature, but these questions of like truth and fact. And I think that a memoir class that is focused on like nature writing, climate change, stuff like that could be a really interesting um, exploration of like what makes us care about the environment because mm-hmm it's not so much like facts don't speak to us, right? At least generally. Um, And they don't speak to us when we're 18 or 19 or 20, like, you know, um, and, and so, and I mean, like, sort of like scientific facts, like those very dry, like, here's what's happening. Here's what's going to happen in 15 years. Um, This is why you should stop eating meat, like whatever. But instead, like, these sort of emotions um, that are associated with memoir writing that we've been talking about um, and that emotional sort of response to the environment. Um, How do we foster that in ourselves, right? Like seeing these issues as tied to us as individuals. And I think memoirs, that genre could be really interesting. Um, I would also use something like, and I like, I know we've talked about it before, um, and, but 
weather by Jonathan Safran Foer, which is this idea about like perspective, right? And so how does, how does the story we tell of climate change impact the way we think about it, the way we care about it? Um, and so I think that that's a really, it's not a memoir, but I think it's definitely creative nonfiction. Um, and it's, so it would sort of be like the beginning of that class, right? So how do we begin to tell stories that matter about climate change that are somewhere between like, here are the facts um, and here is like the individual in the community that matter behind these facts. And yeah. so, yeah. And so, you know, it would include texts like Henry David Thoreau um, and some Annie Dillard. Um, but I think I might also use stuff like um, Lab Girl, which is about like, just the sort of sexism um, in the scientific community. Um, and, and I think that, and it's about other things too, but I, I think that could be like, because I'm always thinking about how is climate change connected to all of our other like isms, right? It's never like in a vacuum. And so I would try and make some connections there. Um, but I would want to do like, not necessarily teaching them to write their own memoir, but having them journal, doing like um, like nature walks and like saying that out loud, I'm like, oh, nature walks, that sounds like so cheesy and like, you know, crunchy but mom. You do like weird versions of nature walks, like, like instead of that romanticized walk through a field, like what does it mean when you walk through like your city block and call it a nature walk? Like what are yeah. you paying attention to? Yeah, absolutely definitely um or like what if you visit the waste plant mm -hmm. in your your county or whatever or the landfill and so yeah that that would be my dream course right now so what I'm taking away from all this is that this week our dream courses are why are you here how long are you here for <laughs> absolutely that's it there we go so we could team teach this right so you do the first semester and then i get everybody that hasn't dropped out yet uh and give them the how long are you here for spiel and then we collapse the college yeah you can tell it's the end of the semester and we're dealing with our own existential crises and we're ready to pass them on to the next generation so i'll see you next time Paige. yeah uh if i'm still here yeah absolutely <laughs>